This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, yeah, you know, part of our vision here in New Church Live is really like, how do we, how do we create this? Like, how do we live out there in these kind of ways where, where that music is moving through us all the time? And, and that's what we hope to talk about today. You know, how does that start to look? Now, for those, I know we have first timers the whole way here from me on through who are here for the very first time. And I want to welcome you here and I want to get you caught up real quickly. This is a series called What's Your Story? Because we all have a story, and, and uh, that story can determine our life, and this is really key. The stories we rehearse are the stories that shape our lives. So if we keep on rehearsing the same thing, we're going to get the same result over and over again. So maybe there's a different thing we can rehearse to end up in a different place over here. And I think God kind of gives us that bridge. So last week we looked at like, oh, when life starts out and it's just so good, so good and everything's coming together and we shared memories back from from when we were kids and and that memory of this or that memory of that and and with the boys at the hockey team you know I took them back to the first time they learned how to skate you know what did that feel like and what was underneath that was God at our inmost and then along comes something called our 20s and 30s you know at a time that is deeply challenging where we kind of, look at this picture, we kind of lose the plot. Like we thought life was going this way, and then it's like all of a sudden the script isn't working anymore. How many of us have lost the plot? Please all, all raise your hand. We've all, we've all lost the plot at some point in time. And that's why this, again, this phrase that I went over is really important. Take a look at this next phrase. The stories we rehearse are the stories that shape our lives. If we lose the plot and just continue to reinforce kind of the Eeyore thing of like, I always lose the plot. Nothing, fill in the blank here. Nothing blank works for me. Nothing ever works for me. Anybody out there with that story? You know, and if, if we have that story and we keep on repeating it, that will actually start to shape our lives. And maybe there's a very different story that we can start to see in our lives. And the Bible, the miracle of the Bible, like the Bible is so cool. And I realize probably some of you are going, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, which we have to be honest. I know that's out there. The, uh, you know, I, I don't think of the Bible. It's so cool because, because the Bible is like, like 4,000 some years old and it's really not this recipe book. I think a lot of people who are more of a fundamentalist ilk, they'll see this as like a to-do list, a real fundamentalist, like you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. It's not really how the book works. The book is a story. And like any good story, it's got good parts, bad parts. It's got blessings and it's got breakings. It's got the whole thing. And that kind of makes it a rich, textured story because our job from New Church perspective, our job is to be able to look at our lives, which are blessed, which are broken, and to be able to go like, oh, look at this. 4,000 years ago, they were wrestling with the same thing and God gave them answers. It's where we start to understand me too. Could we say me too together? Me too. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's why we do small groups. That's why, you know, I highly recommend you, get, you do the one afterwards if you haven't ever done it, just to get a taste 
Uh, Chris David's going to do a great job running it. You can see me. It's just, just a way to sit around people. And I guarantee you, you will say those two words. Say them one more time. You will say, you'll say me too. And the Bible's all about this. We can see our story in here. That story's just underneath the surface. And just underneath the surface is this beautiful part of a story written 4,000 years ago. And what this part of the story is, is, is you have, you have these, these people, and they, they, they had gone down to Egypt. Children of Israel is what they're called in the Bible a lot. Modern day uh, Judaism grows out of this story. And, and they're way down there, and they're, they're, they're in Egypt, and they multiply, and they grow, and they gain a lot of power. And then the Egyptians slowly start to enslave them. So what was once a savior, Egypt, becomes an oppressor. What was once beautiful and pristine, all of a sudden starts to shut down. How many of you have had that experience with work? Right? Where it's like the first day you came home, it was the best job ever. It is so great. And two weeks later, it's like, ah, uh, what was I thinking? Right? That's, that's what we're looking at, kind of that fall right there today. And, and, and again, if we, if we rehearse a certain story around that, we'll be in trouble, but maybe we can rehearse a different story. So I'm going to read it for you, and then what I'm going to do, it's real short, and then we're going to talk about it. And, and God felt that this storytelling was so important, so important. Please ask me how important. Thank you for asking. How important that you had, that he said, look, you got to repeat this story every year because you got to rehear it over and over again. I'm giving you a new story to rehearse. So listen to this. And this is right before they finally like grab the bass, brass ring where they finally make it. Listen to this. Beautiful, beautiful part. Very short. And this is God saying, then you shall declare before the Lord your God. My father was a wandering, this is Abraham, was a wandering Aramean. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation. That's a part starts to grow. Became a great nation. But the Egyptians mistreated us. All right, so what was once a savior becomes an oppressor. That beautiful job starts to contract. But the Egyptians mistreated us, made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. The Lord heard our voice, saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out. And this is the third movement. Hint, be here next week. All the cool people will be. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt, that's next week, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with, with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to a place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So today we're looking at this line. Then the Egyptians mistreated us, made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice. Now that's important first. Like, God does hear he hears when you're struggling. This is, this is where I, I wish for those of you who are here with a heavy burden on your heart that could grab you by your hands, look you right in the eye, and tell you these two things. God loves you, and God hears you. God loves you, God hears you underneath embeds foundation of this whole story. Heard our voice and saw, and let's say these, these four words together. Ready? Misery, toil, and oppression. Misery, 
toil and oppression. I, I think, folks, that, that that is what happens in our lives. Like we go through those things and we find ourselves like, man, misery, toil, and oppression. Yeah, I got all three. Where, where it just is a struggle, right? Yeah. Can I get a big amen? amen? Amen. Like we all know that, right? It's like misery, toil, and oppression. Oh, my goodness. How many of us have that trying to shovel our driveways with this like this Armageddon sledge snow stuff, right? It's like misery. We just, we have those pieces of our life where it is misery, toil, and oppression. Where those things that we once felt were so liberating, all of a sudden they just feel miserable. Just feel so hard and difficult. And so we need to look at that because, folks, what starts to happen with that misery, toil, and oppression... That's where the story gets hard. And oftentimes, that stuff leaks out sideways in the form of anger. I know we probably only have one or two people here who wrestle with anger. So, you know, it comes out sideways. So you have the bad day at work. So you go home and you enter the house. And who do you yell at? Who? Shout them out. There, There you go. You just heard it. It comes out sideways. It's not that you're mad at them. It's just there's this over here, so it comes out sideways. So that, that anger is really difficult. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how we look at that anger, how we try to, to deal with this, how we kind of pull it back, how we can maybe reframe this whole thing, this whole, this whole downward slide when we're in a place of misery, toil, and oppression. Now, in the, in the new church, and I'm I, sorry for the booth. I'm going to jump back and forth here, guys. I didn't put this down on the sermon chart, so thank you. Um, you know, we're going to start over here. Like, like last week, we looked over here, and we said, yep, there's this, there's this part of us that God gives us this core, this inner core, this deep, deep, deep inner core. That's God within us, the divine spark. All of us have it, made in the image and likeness of God. Outside of that are what, what in new church we call remnants, these memories that we have, conscious and unconscious, given to us throughout our lives, that help us attach back to that. So all of a sudden you hand somebody, you hand the toughest guy in here a new baby and watch them cry. That's, that's what this is talking about. That's, that's that, it just, it, there's something inside that just like moves us, right? Now, there's also another side. So guys, I'm gonna go over here to the farm app. There's also this other side here, and you can put the next slide up. There's also this part here that in the new church, we've called it over the years, hereditary evil. I'm going to use the word destructive family patterns. Can we say the last three words there together? Destructive family patterns. So, so then like I have this really good part of me, but then I also have this part that's just, it's a destructive family pattern. Please tell me you know what I'm talking about. You know, it, it, it's why people get so annoyed. You know, it's like if somebody says like, oh, you're being just like, if my wife tells me you're being just like your dad, there's part of me that's like, oh, don't say that. I'm not. But then the inside of my mind, I'm going, she's right. And I love my dad. Like, this is not about parent bashing. This is just about like, hey, look, we all have destructive family patterns. If you don't, please leave church now because I have nothing to teach you. All right? And this is to totally alleviate you of all parent guilt. There's no way you're going to do parenting right. Does everybody get that? Please, I deal with that all the time. Especially, I want the moms out here to hear this. Moms, can you really listen? You, you, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. You're doing a great job. 
If your kid knows that you love them, good. Maybe that's the best we can do because we're going to mess up all the time. You know, and I think about these destructive family patterns, and oftentimes they come out with anger. And what I want to do is I'm going to run around with the microphone here if we go to the next slide. Because I want to talk about sort of how this shows up. Anger was expressed, anger is expressed. So one of the things, again, the consultant said that I thought was really neat is she really appreciated how good the congregation was at, at exchanging stuff, you know, saying where they're coming from. So I'm just going to get, a, I really just need like two people who are willing to say, yeah, when I grew up, anger was expressed like this. And so anger is expressed now for me like this. Because either we, we take the way anger was expressed, we rehearse that story, and we just take it lock, stock, and barrel because we don't know any different. Or we go to the exact opposite. That makes sense? Either we pull it all in or we completely reject it. And it's important to be able to look at that and go like, oh yeah, there's a story here. Now I'm going to tell you one. This is embarrassing for me. I'm sad about it to this day. I've apologized to it about 50 times to my son. You know, I, I can, I had a dad who, my dad is wonderful. You know, he's, he's just a wonderful man. And he was a business guy, hard driving guy. So anger in my family was expressed very loudly. I mean, we were Irish, but we were really Italian. You know, it was like, it was loud and it was like, you know, kids getting smacked. And, and my parents, it was a second marriage and, and they decided it would be a really great idea to have a family immediately. So we're all 11 months apart and the last two are twins. That means four kids in under 24 months. Don't try that at home. It was like, it was, it was wild. It was just, it was, and I could go on for stories about how wild this was. And, and my parents are both running a business at the same time. I mean, it's just crazy. So I grew up with like, man, when you feel it, fire ready aim, buddy. You know, you just, I just go. And, and I can remember my, my son, I said, so like, oh man, what was I thinking? And, and I was moving my brother-in-law from one place to another. I'm driving the delivery truck. He's driving a car. And, and my son's like three. And I, my son's name is Jordan. I said, Jordan, why don't you go, go ride with Uncle Darren? And Jordan's like, oh, I can't do it. She's just too scared. I lost my cool. A three-year-old. Like, what was I, what was I thinking? I had a story. You know, anger was expressed. So that's how anger is expressed. You know, and I look back at it now. Now I'm, I'm back then more like a pit bull. Now I'm like a Labrador retriever. You know, you know, just, just different. And, and I'm glad and I can apologize to my son for that. Please everybody raise your hand. How many of us have done a moment where we just look at it and just go like, oh my goodness. You know, ugh. ugh. You know, we just, we have those, we have those moments. So I just want to go around. I just want to like get like two people who are going to say anger was expressed. Anger is expressed. You have to say it a lot shorter than I did. I'm the pastor. I get to speak all the time. So, so you have to like boil it down to like, like 30 seconds. All right. So I need two people to raise their hand while I grab the mic. For me, anger was expressed when I was a kid. It was always like, since I'm an only child, it was like a blame game. So it's always, it's your fault or it's your fault. And then <laughs> as I grew up, then I was like, oh, no, actually, anger is more expressed like internally. Now it's always, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's no one else's fault. 
That's good. And, and you know, how many of us have done that, right? Where, where anger was expressed, so the way it's expressed now, we can't quite say it out, so we, we pull it all in. Well, I grew up in an Italian family, so it was loudly. And uh, now it's trying to be more quietly. You know, one of the things... For- One of these things, I think, again, like our reaction can be either to, to totally like run with the anger or it can become, and some of us are, are going to struggle with this, like we, we had families that were so angry that what we've learned about is never be angry. How many of us struggle with just, you're just, you can, you're sure you can never be angry. You know, there's a difference between dark anger and clean anger. That's important. And these pieces, folks, they're, they're just, they're just a struggle. We, we live between the tension of these two. Between family memories that are just beautiful and terrific. And then these parts where we just, where we lost the plot. And how do we kind of stand in the middle and allow ourselves a way to kind of write a new story that, that's able to incorporate these? Not in rewriting, but in reframing. Now, as the band comes out, folks, as the band comes out for our middle song here, I want you to think, yeah, where's that pattern of anger for me? And pretty much any way you're expressing anger is going to be a pattern. Just, just a little hint. You know, what's that pattern for you? Really think through, yeah, this happens, and then blah, blah, blah. And, and especially be aware of that pattern where you go, but I need to do it that way because. Just understand that might be a pattern, might be something worth looking at. And then we come back, we're going to talk about how we move through that, how we learn to drop the mic. Beautiful. So how do we kind of, you know, start to allow that, you know, that, that, that light to start to flow through our veins? Like we, we know that this anger kind of can be part, and, and this anger can be, feel like misery, toil, and oppression. How many of us get that? Man, when I'm angry, boy, just I feel miserable. I don't know any two people who are happy when they're angry. That makes sense. You know, it, it feels miserable and it, and it can trap us. We can feel totally enslaved, just like the story says. We can to- feel totally enslaved by that. And that can be a pattern that goes so far back, we don't even question it. Like, I didn't yell at my son thinking, oh, that's a family pattern showing up again. I yelled at my son because that's what happened. That's what you did. And it's not about, again, it's not about bashing my parents. These things are true too. It's about just going, yeah, that, that was that, and I, and I need to be able to look at that. I need to be able to look at that and move forward in my life in a way where I'm able to see, yep, there's dark anger and there's clean anger. There's anger that's very destructive, and there's anger sometimes that actually is, is very appropriate and real. And that's where we, we find stands in our lives. I could do a whole like series on that. How do we know, though? Like, how do we know this difference? And, and how do we know the stories that are actually really damaging, the stories of, again, misery, toil, and oppression? And, and I want to give you just four characteristics. I made these up totally by myself, so I may be totally wrong. Um, but feel free to take a picture of them, because I think maybe they, they tell us some things. Out of these destructive family patterns, we construct ser- uh, stories that do not serve us well. So this is the way I see it might work. Well, I think any story, when it becomes defining, when a negative story becomes defining of our lives. 
So we have a story and we've rehearsed it so much that we use that to define our lives. I am blah, blah, blah. And if you follow that up with a negative story, I am blah, 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 who? You know, if that's defining you completely, you're in trouble. Now, now there's nothing wrong with having a, a, a challenge in our story that we're upfront about. I'm so-and-so. I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Like, that's, that's a little different. It's a way of being authentic. I'm talking about those stories that kind of mire us down in the muck. Next one, diminishing. Stories that diminish our soul. And this is, this is real important and a fine differentiation, like a fine line here, but I think it's important. Leading to a constricting self-consciousness or an off-putting grandiosity that limits our gifts. So either the story diminishes us like this, or it leads us to like be, be so searching for all applause that it leads to this self-aggrandizement, which is no fun to be around. You know, it either pulls us in or pushes us out in ways that aren't healthy. Next slide. Degrading. Degrading our connections with others by normalizing critique and judgment. Whoo! I'll raise your hand. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, I think a lot of our patterns I have, I imagine a lot of them you have, at least the people who giggled, is, uh, you know, like we, we, we come from a family system that totally normalizes critique, totally normalizes judgment. Not looking for what was right, but looking for what was wrong. And the last one, demanding. I'm going to have you say the A word there. These bad stories are... Could we say it with a lot of... These bad stories are... Always. Always. They give such bad advice. They never give good advice. I've never listened to a bad story and felt like, oh yeah, I'll be able to pull a lot out of that. Right? It It doesn't work. It doesn't work. They give bad advice. Hell gives bad advice all the time. Do you folks see, you're starting to see, again, like it connects with our previous series on head bullies, right? Head bullies love bad stories. And again, if we rehearse those stories again and again and again, that tends to become what our life is, at least in terms of how we judge our lives, how we tend to see things. Now, folks, this next part, I think, is, is, is really critical. Again, this is another one I would take a picture of. I think it's so important. And it, it, you may not get it at first glance, but I think there's a deep truth underneath this. Characters in any good story don't choose to move. They have to be forced. Characters in any good story. You know, Frodo leaves the Shire. That's it's how it works. Any story we write that we hope to write is going to have a time where we're going to be asked, listen carefully, folks, please listen carefully. You will be asked to go on an adventure you did not choose. Please give me an amen on that one. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I, I, but that's what makes it a good story. How good would Lord of the Rings be if Frodo had stayed in the Shire? It it wouldn't be a story, right? It would be boring. That's why this is so important to understand. Yeah, this is part of how it works, and, and they have to be forced to do it. Like, nobody chooses that part. But that's where the story can gain so much richness and where, where God can actually start to work some amazing miracles.
So those moments show up where all of a sudden we're asked to shift our story. Can I share with you when my anger story shifted? Yeah, I want to, I want to share with you a story. So, so what happened? I'm actually going to go sit over here. Sorry for going back and forth, but it's going to sit over here. I had had a, a really rough day. So when we were living up in the Pocono Mountains. And I, you know, I'm sitting on this stairwell. It had just been really, really, really a hard day. And I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm kind of crestfallen. Um, for any of you who are teachers here, God bless you. Teaching is a hard profession. And I, I had a lot of success with it. I had a lot of challenges with it. And it had just been, I don't remember what happened. It had just been a rough day. So I'm just kind of sitting on the stairs, you know. And I wasn't like Rodan's thinker. I was like... Like it was not good, which is very, very sad from a rough day. And you know, inevitably, when I'm sad, anger's right around the corner, you know, because that's how it kind of worked with me. And and I, I just I feel very heavy heart. I you know wasn't even aware it could come out in anger, but that's clearly part of my my pattern. And and our our, our little daughter Brooke Brooke comes in, and and she she comes up, she looks at me, and she goes, Daddy. Even when you're far away, your angels are nearby. Even when you are far away, your angels are nearby. Pretty hard to be angry there. Right? And, and see right there, there's, there's a different story. And you choose that, but all of a sudden, like, here's this moment. Poop. Just this little blip, these little words. The change, again, notice the place where I'm sitting, folks. Remnants takes me back to my inmost, spoken from a child to a father. How many of us have been raised by our children, by the way? You know, at some, <laughs> at some point in time, we all know how that goes, right? And that's, that's a beautiful place. So what I'd like to do now is now I'm going to come back out in the audience again, and we're going to go to this question. When did anger, as you were doing it, stop working for you? In other words, what was, was there a moment where it's like, yeah, I just, I, this won't work. I do want to warmly invite that the team's going to put the, my, my text number up on the chat. So if you're watching online, which I know a lot of you folks are, again, if you're watching in a group like out of Michigan, you want to talk about this, great. If you're watching with one or two other people and you want to text me an answer, please feel free to as well. So be coming out in the audience. Think of this, like when did anger, as you were doing it, Stop working for you. You know, when was that moment for you? Where it's like, yeah, I, I got to shift this. All right. So if I could get some hands up. Secret dog fence up there. Okay. <laughs> so many. Uh, expressing my anger towards my husband. I couldn't use the old Italian way because he would just leave the room. So that wasn't working. So finding another way to do it quietly and more lovingly. That's it. Good, good, good. What's another one, folks? Marcus. This is interesting for me because over the past few years, I started really recognizing the what I call the worthiness game, um, where the story really started taking shape where you want to get more into how horrible the story is so that someone can go, wow, he worked so hard and then got where he needed to get. Whereas over the past few years, I realized that the anger and the story doesn't serve and it's also not the goal that you want. So it's, it's a much more exciting and, and heavenly-like outcome when, when someone goes, it doesn't seem like you do anything. 
No. What do I? What do you do all day? Oh, I just I just love and yeah. figure out what's next. <laughs> I, I don't I don't try to tell a story that that works against me. And and I think that's when it really all started oh, shifting. It doesn't serve. It, just it doesn't, doesn't serve. serve. It doesn't serve. That's really well said. Yeah. Thank you. For the record, Grace raised my hand. <laughs> um, I know that um, for me, when after Cameron died, who's my husband, um, I was driving down the road, and I realized the one thing that I did regret was expressing anger towards him, because it never got us anywhere. Yeah, and a thank you, Allie. You know, and, and that's that, that anger thing where you can't ever unscramble the egg right? We just hold it as part of our life, but we can't unscramble the egg. We've got time for one more. One more person. Leah. When my kids were little, uh, I always used to save my anger for when I was in the car. So I'd be, uh, the kids would be in the back and I'd be yelling at what some idiot did. It was always idiot this and idiot that. And my son said, mom, why are you angry? They can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> that's good how much are how much are, how many of us are great at anger in the car that's where we specialize all right give those folks around so you can clearly see that, that there are ways that, that we can start to work through this and that, that life is a journey and you don't you don't choose it it's, it's not about like this huge guilt around anger it's about like yeah you know here here i'm trying to learn and and you know we're in this laboratory of life angels in training and and of course we're going to have to wrestle with both of these and there's a tension between both of these and and that's that's okay that's okay we just need to continue to do the simple best that we can Really trying to be open to, to, yeah, that there's a different story. And I think what Marcus said is really true. It, it's interesting to me that the, that the better story actually is simpler. Anger is pretty complex because I make up huge stories around anger that go back decades. Decades. But then when I can just, like, let it go, I, and again, I, this is something I'm working on a lot, and I really, I'm going to say it probably 500 times because I think it's that important. It's so easy to think that the answer to all of this will be when I get the answers. I won't be angry anymore when these 10 questions get answered. I have not found that to work. I think what Marcus said has worked, where I can just, like, I'm not even asking the questions anymore. I'm just going to try to make it simple. Now, simple is not easy. <laughs> simple and easy are different things. But it is, it is, I think, a way that, that we can start to hold it in much healthier ways. Because, you know, as Ali said, it is tough. I mean, we all have that, that we just stick. Like, man, you know, and it, we regret. And we, we just want to do the best we can to have as little of that as we can, as little of that as possible. So, you guys ready to see a little video that shows how this works? All right, you're going to like this guy. He is a good guy. Talking about this, dreaming with eyes wide open. Take a look at this video.
My name's Jimmy Alvin, 36 years old. I'm a father of four. I was born and raised in the Kensington area of Philadelphia. It's full with narcotics and prostitution, and my house was, was, was constantly dirty. My mom and dad were fist fighting. When I was younger, I would get beat on purpose. Because after he would beat me, he would call upstairs and tell me he loved me. And I would break. He would break me with that because I just wanted to hear that. You know, as I got older, I turned into an alcoholic and, and a drug addict. A lot of damage I caused these people and, and a lot of pain and, and hurt. I don't know how the cycle got broken, but I got an idea that it all began with forgiveness. I eventually sobered up. And, and when I sobered up, you know, I had, I had to learn how to forgive my father in order to love my children. It didn't, does that, I don't know if that makes sense, but to me it made sense. Eventually I learned how to be that father, and um, I went from the same guy that was putting their kids in front of the TV to down on my hands and knees, uh, singing the Barney song, and playing Thomas the Train. I'm dreaming with my eyes open, and it's constantly just mind-blowing and mind-boggling, like this is my life, it's amazing. Isn't that a beautiful one, and I, you know, I, I Wanted to go back to a slide. I actually had it out of order, but I think it's so important. Like this slide here from Luke. And, and see this, folks. This is from the message. Uh, see this as, as speaking poetically. Like it's really clear when you look at the life of Christ, he really took care of his family. Up to one of his last words uh, was him taking care of his mother. You know, this was, this was definitely a guy who took care of his family. So you have to see this poetically. One day when large groups of people were talking along with him, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brother, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. He's not talking literal family there. He's, he's talking about the family that we collect around our story. And can we let that go? Very much in the way that Jimmy did. And what was the key to letting his family and his story go? What was the key there, folks? Forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? He became aware. He forgave. And he acted into it. And through that, he found a way to dream with his eyes wide open. See, then the story shifts. Where now we're not, we're not just trying to rewrite our story, which can be frustrating because we never get to do that. Now we're able to reframe the story with forgiveness, with grace, for those who've hurt us, and who else for? Us, for ourselves. That's what God's doing. So he's moving. When we can do that, there can just be this, this very, very, very gentle letting go. Because, because I think so much of anger comes from this, from this penchant we have to try to rewrite the story that we can't. Reframing far, far, far different. So, this week. You ready for your takeaway? All right, let's stand up here, folks. Stand up here, all right? One of, one of the little statements I really like that's going around a lot these days is drop the mic. So can we say drop the mic together? Drop the mic. Drop the mic. So, so I want you to like picture that, you know, picture that in your hand, this microphone where you've been telling this really bad story. Usually drop the mic means you've said it really well. I'm using it for when you haven't said it well. 
You know, just, just think for a minute here. Think for a minute about that story you keep on saying. Story you keep on rehearsing. Hold that in your hand. Put it out away from you. Put that story. It's no good. <laughs> it's not helping you. Don't believe me. Talk to Marcus. He said it better than I am. And you ready? All right. One, two, three. <laughs> Who did that? Was that you, Marcus? <laughs> yeah, that deserves a round of applause. We just, we just, just take the week, drop the mic. Like, that's it. Drop it. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to speak louder into it. Don't try to, like, offer answers. Just drop the mic. Drop the mic. So maybe we should all pray standing up. Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, let's all pray standing up. So I am very, very, very fortunate to have one of my most beloved dear friends here with us today. She joins us every week at New Church Live. She's part of our sermon writing team. She does a wonderful job. She's going to join us here for the last prayer, Reverend Teresa Huber. Please give a round of applause, folks. The way we do a final prayer here in New Church Live for, for our first-time attendees is that we say a prayer, and then we have a moment where, where you have a chance to just have a quiet, meditative moment. Some of us were raised in a formal church, so we get a chance to quietly say the Lord's Prayer as, as we know it, or to just have a moment of silent meditation. All right? And then we'll go right into the last song. For the last song, you're welcome to stand up or sit down. You're welcome to sing along or just enjoy it. So the prayer. Teresa, get us started here. I invite you to bow your heads if that's comfortable for you. Lord, let's just start with thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for our lives and for this moment with one another this morning. Lord, I know there's a teaching in the new church about you that, that many of us know and that is so beautiful. You cannot look at us with a stern expression. And Lord, I suspect that it's not just that you can't look at us with a stern expression. When you look at us, you say, wow, it's my beautiful child. Amen. All of us, every one of us, I don't care what our life is like. Lord, I know that's how you see us. Lord, we ask a favor today. Lord, we ask you lift the burden of any negative story we might have about ourselves that does not serve because that is not in your face. Lord, let us remember you write blessing on every page of our life, and we can see that too. And Lord, we ask you just sometime today, please, please gift us with a moment where we see you and you see us, and we share that moment of, wow, he thinks I'm a beautiful child. <laughs> I'm a beautiful child, because we are. Amen. And Lord, a blessing to share with the congregation, a 4,000-year-old blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.
Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.